Welcome. You've tuned into Boomer Monologues, a memoir podcast of some of the various adventures in my life from anywhere between 1946, the year of my birth. Yeah, not too much here from that year. And so far, the year 2020. All episodes describe true events. However, the dialogue is only as approximate as my memory can allow. In recording today's episode, I've been blessed by being adopted by sound wizard Jason Curran, a very resourceful friend who has been insisting he can make me sound better. Welcome aboard, Jason, and please accept my sincere gratitude. Today, you're listening to Season 1, Episode 4, titled Brat Pack, Part 1. In this episode, I invite you to please take a seat in my circa early 1970s classroom to watch me flounder with classroom management as a budding so-called teacher of high school English. Bummer. We were the kids that made America famous. The kind of kids that long since drove our parents to despair. We were lazy, long hairs, dropping out, lost, confused, and copping out, convinced our futures were in doubt, and trying not to care. These lyrics were written by Harry Chapin, one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time. You probably know him best for his big hit, Cats in the Cradle, but this song, one of my favorite ballads of all time, is titled, What Made America Famous? What's it about? It's about the 70s. The volatile 70s. The best of times, the worst of times, the saddest of times, the most hilarious of times, the most superlative of times. I was there. I lived it. The 70s. A challenging time for teachers. I was employed teaching high school English to the kids that made America famous. Well, teaching high school English at those particular kids more than not, if we're talking about a particular period seven general English class, which I am. And I'm guessing you know the type. Gabe Cotter of Welcome Back Cotter affectionately dubbed them the Sweat Hogs. I never did that, but I had my group and they were definitely Lazy, long hairs dropping out, lost, confused, and copping out, convinced their futures were in doubt and trying not to care. Coming to class every day with their psychological anti-teacher body armor. Hey, here's a hoot. Try to imagine trying to teach poetry to the sweat hogs. That in itself makes a pretty good sitcom script right there. But then, throw in that most of them are stoned because they will be every day often all of them all 14 I kid you not this was the 70s don't forget 
Shortly after Woodstock, right after the Kent State shootings, and the Vietnam War still raging on. Even more fun yet, imagine that not only are they all boys, because they are, but each is a card-carrying member of the Exiles, the local badass biker gang, the worst of the worst. In point of fact, this was my period seven junior English class. So yes, now, try to picture yourself standing at the front of these born-to-be-wild bikers and announcing, as I once did, Hey, morning guys, today we begin a new unit. Poetry. The unanimous reactions after a prolonged moment of lethal silence. Hey man, get real, homeboy. And, nope, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. And, hey, that crap don't do no good for nothing, so what good's it gonna do for us? And, I don't know what you're smoking, man, but you can just bogart it right outside the door over there. All this and more ending in a mean-spirited outburst of raucous laughter. But we have to. It's in the curriculum. Yeah? Well, maybe it is. And so what if it is? You want it? Well, that's you, man. Go ahead. You do it. No one's stopping you. But us? We ain't having any of that. I had to say, that struck me as pretty damn final. A convincing that's that moment. Quite the discouraging word for young me with only three years teaching English under my belt. But I'd have been an idiot if I hadn't anticipated exactly that reaction, which I had. And I'd been tossing this dilemma of mind around in my head for weeks, stealing myself up for this very mission impossible racking my brain on the belief that there probably had to be some possible chink in their armor somewhere, if only I could divine what and where it was. I'd pretty much brainstormed it to death. So I hadn't exactly come to class totally unarmed. I'd hit on something, something iffy, something pretty likely to fail, but something, and any something's better than nothing. I'd come in that morning with what I wanted to believe might prove to be just the silver bullet for that theoretical chink. Tell you what, I began. No dice, man, I heard. I'll make you a deal. No deal. No, no, wait, hear me out. I've got an idea here. Not interested. Well, here it is anyway. We don't want it. I had to talk fast. You let me try one poem on you, just one single poem. And if, if you give it a thumbs down, which you're totally free to do, I swear, then okay, that's it. That's all she wrote. We'll do something else. Of course, you most likely won't like that other something else either, since you're you and hey, this is an English class after all. So what are we going to do? But if, on the other hand, you don't, why, then I'm going to take that as a go-ahead for me to pull a second rabbit out of my hat. What do you say? A long silence followed. Finally, one of them said, 
Uh, what do you mean, if we give it the thumbs down? Are you actually dumb enough to think we won't? Yeah, that'd, that'd be me, I had to admit. But listen, guys, this poem, you're not even gonna know it's a poem, I swear. Because it's really song lyrics, okay? Song lyrics. They're poetry, too. Oh, yeah, every single song you guys like, I don't care what it is, poetry, plain and simple. So, you're already poetry freaks. You just never knew it. Bullshit we are. Oh, come on, you guys. What do you say? What's the matter? You big, bad exiles, chicken or something, huh? Somebody ventured, no, we ain't. It's just we can imagine what kind of song you'd be tuned into. Ha-ha, no, you can't. You can't even begin to imagine it. You have no idea. I was really getting into it now. Come on, throw a guy a crumb here. I already told you. You can say no. And surprise of all surprises, they conceded after a bit, albeit with guarded skepticism. But they were champing at the bit to shoot me down big time and victoriously hold me to my promise. And no... They weren't happy about it, that was obvious, but haha. Song lyrics. I'm guessing that's actually what got them to nibble. And nibble they did. And oh, was I ever ready. I had my lyrics all printed out in a pile on my desk, primed to pass out. And my magic weapon? My silver bullet? Why? My favorite singer-songwriter of all time, of course, Harry Chapin. But the title of this song's lyric was Bummer. Yeah, Bummer. I could see it in their faces when I said that. And they went to work chewing on it. He says we're doing poetry stuff. But they never expected a title of a poem to be something like Bummer. I'd caught him a little off guard. I had to work fast. So... I hurried down through the aisles, placing a copy of the single-spaced, two-and-a-half-pages-long, stapled-together lyrics face down on each desk, commanding them, Do not peek until I am ready to begin. They peeked. Of course they peeked. But they were slow readers, so I was still able to get the jump on them when, in my lowest, meanest, and raspiest voice, I began my dramatic reading. Bummer by Harry Chapin. His mama was a midnight woman. His daddy was a drifter drummer. One night they put it together. Nine months later came the little black bummer. He was a laid back lump in the cradle, chewing paint chips that fell from the ceiling. And whenever he cried, he got a fist in his face, so he learned not to show his feelings. He was a pigtail puller in grammar school, left back twice by the seventh grade, sniffing glue in junior high and the first one in school to get laid. He, hey, whoa, somebody interrupted. And then, yeah, can, can you actually say that in school, I mean? To which I responded, I just did, didn't I? Now, shh, you're breaking the spell. And I forged on, but not before smugly noting that, yes, all eyes were now glued on those pages. 
He was a weed speed pusher at 15, mainlining Skag a year later. He'd started pimping after they put him away. In jail, he changed from a junkie to a hater. Just to fill you in, these long lyrics tell the story of an African-American kid, the bummer, who grows up hard in the doomed-to-fail ghettos and gets jailed. Sometime after which, they threw him back on the street. He robbed an A&P. He didn't blink at the buddy that he shafted. And just about the time they would have caught him, too, he had the damn good fortune to get drafted. All right, long story short, he's sent to Vietnam, performs unbelievably as the killing machine he was trained to be, earns six Purple Hearts and a Medal of Honor, comes home, tries to go straight for a while, fails miserably, and finally falls back on what he knows best, crime. The repeating chorus of this song gives it away how things are going to turn out in the end. And just like the man from the precinct said, put him away, you'd better kill him instead. A bummer like that is better off dead. Someday they're gonna have to put a bullet in his head. I was actually given the thumbs up on Bummer, as unbelievable as that was. It just goes to show you never know till you give it an honest try. Oh, they were still skeptical. I mean, I could be scamming them yet. But then, together, we went on to the next Harry Chapin song lyrics, also already waiting in a printed pile on my desk, namely, the very same lyrics I quoted from at the beginning of this little essay, What Made America Famous. And then, (laughs) I was able to sit back with the delicious satisfaction of watching them as they tentatively began identifying right before my eyes with the words and the story they were telling because they were beginning to realize that these lyrics were, well, kind of about them. We were the kids that made America famous, the kind of kids that long since drove our parents to despair. We were lazy, long hairs, dropping out, Lost, confused, and copping out, convinced our futures were in doubt, and trying not to care. For once, they were honestly involved with something literary. Somebody's written words were reaching out, and they were allowing these words to touch them in a very human way. Yay! To this day, I count this little success of mine as one of my few claims to fame. I taught poetry to a badass biker gang and survived. Yes, I did. But on top of that, I suppose what I'm really trying to say is that that's pretty much the moment I honestly began to fall a little in love with that little bunch of yahoos. Classroom management. And at the same time, I'm fairly sure that they, in their own way, were 
kind of beginning to fall a little bit in love with me as well. Case in point, the day I was amping up into my scintillating four different ways of developing a topic sentence into a well-developed paragraph spiel. Number one, I pontificated specific examples. And I went straight to the board to chalk up one examples. But damn it, once again, every stick of chalk had disappeared from the chalk tray. Where the hell did they all go? But never mind, I just moseyed on over to my desk, hauled open the center drawer where I keep my spare box of... Whoops, Jesus! Lying egregiously right there in my drawer like an accusation, like some Exhibit A Supreme Court Grand Jury Rico indictment, was one of the fattest doobies you could ever hope to lay your eyes on. And, of course, I could hear the chuckles from around the room at the way my eyeballs had just bugged way the hell out. But all was well. No major coronary necessary, thank God. After their little laugh and a half at my expense, I was quickly debriefed that the joint in question, as realistic as it did appear, was nothing but a pencil-shaven fatty, a phony, a joke on me. Nothing more than another bona fide, to sir with love, teacher coming of age initiation caper. A gift from them to me. You know, like the family cat plopping the decapitated rodent on the kitchen floor every once in a while because he likes you. But okay now, let's talk about what level I had achieved in my quote-unquote marijuana education by the mid-early 70s when this occurred, okay? A qualifying resume in a nutshell is in order here. First of all, I grew up in a very small and conservative rural main town, population 5,000. From the time I graduated from high school in 1964 until the beginning of my college junior year, the word drugs had only a single meaning for me. They were the pills you were prescribed by a doctor and then purchased at your local drug store to combat some kind of illness or disease. Well, you see, in Maine, we were always way behind the times sociologically. I mean, we had to wait for the 70s to be over before we got to try experiencing living in the 60s. So, at this point, I was a reefer virgin. But now, in September of 68, I got my first teaching job down on the coast. And during one of my English classes one morning... This is in the very first week of my teaching career, mind you. I experienced an incident that turned my perception of the normal world, topsy-turvy, upside down. Consider that I really had no firm idea of how to teach yet, not really, it all being brand new to me, and so, of course, I was teaching pretty terrified to begin with, but okay. So I was asking some mundane questions of the class regarding a chapter of a novel we'd begun reading when this tall, heavy-set man-kid in a Rumple Salvation Army coat all of a sudden just stood up from his seat 
at the back of the room. And he began silently shuffling down his aisle toward me. I paused in the middle of a sentence. I gave him the hairy eyeball. Long, greasy locks of hair tangled down around his shoulders. What? I asked. He did not answer. When he reached the front of the room, he turned to his right, slowly and determinedly passing in front of me. What is it? I demanded. What do you want? Hey, where are you going? It was the damnedest thing. When he reached the other side of the room and again turned right, heading up that aisle, I was tagging along right behind him. Hey, I'm talking to you here. What's up? Hey. And it was then I noticed the small kid near the back. Noticed him because he was, oh God, noticeably cowering in his seat. This did not bode well. Stop right there. I commanded forcibly to no avail. Look, you... See, I didn't even know this guy's name yet. I'm the teacher here, you know? What a sad thing to have to say, right? But then, just as I caught up, he stopped beside this cowering kid's desk and just outright sucker-punched him right in the face. I think I almost passed out. Before I even knew what I was doing, I found myself clutching lapels of an overcoat. I had to reach up to do that because this guy was at least a head taller than me, man-sized, really, and heavier than me. In fact, he looked to me like somebody who could easily tear my scrawny arms right off. Still holding on, though, I, I had to look down to the right to check out the still-seated victim. Are you all right? I think I probably shouted. Are you okay? He just glared back at me and then sullenly began to stare down at his empty desktop like this was all my fault somehow or that I was at least a part of it. Well, I said, we'll get the school nurse to take a look at you. No, he snapped, not deigning to give me a blink of eye contact. No nurse. And then he just sat there, continuing to glare down. I mean, <laughs> did he not realize that I was on his side? Well, in a minute we will, I say, kind of gasping now and realizing I've got a bad case of the shakes going on. I said no. Oh my God, what was going on here? And whatever in hell was it I was supposed to do about it? Having no idea... I turned my growing frenetic insanity onto that Goliath overcoat I've got clutched in my sweaty fists. You, I accuse, now brandishing a quivering index finger in his face and desperately trying to remember what my teachers back in high school would have done. And then I said, you are on your way to the principal's office, mister. Oh, yeah like the principal's office was the death penalty. But do you know what this big lummox did? He snorted, visibly snorted right in my face, like, like I was just some nerd. Like the principal's office was no big deal. Like punching a random kid in the face all of a sudden is like normal. Like nothing more than 
I don't know, sharpening your pencil in class or something. Hey! Now, this was my very first discipline case, and I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience, but at least I'd gotten the hay part down path. But where all this was going and how to proceed from there, I had no clue, really. I was out to lunch and just winging it. But suddenly, before I knew it, I clicked into a heretofore unknown automatic pilot mode I didn't even know I possessed. And I started going all Barney Fife on this guy. I was a bantam rooster. I was a chihuahua with rabies. Why'd you do it? Huh? What were you thinking? Huh? That you could just, what, walk up to some guy in my class and outright rabbit punch him right in the face? Huh? Like it was nothing? Is that it? Huh? Huh? Suddenly, a sharp pang spiked back through my index finger, and I realized, oh, shit, that I had just poked this felon hard right in the chest. What was I thinking? But too late, Barney Fife was on a tear. Don't you be doing that, man, he warned me. Don't you be touching me. With that, still clutching his coat, I had a glance around the room at the class. Whoa, can you believe this? I asked a rhetorical question. This big bad bully who thinks it's just all fine and dandy to walk up and just slug somebody in the face is all afraid of what? Being touched, oh my. Just don't is all I'm saying. Hey, fella, I said, I asked you a question, remember? And here I poked him again because even though a shaky voice on the back burner of my brain was screaming at me, you're going to get your clock cleaned, idiot. I couldn't help it for some reason. I'd come undone. You come in here and punch a guy out? The very least you can do is tell me why you did it. So start talking. Spit it out. Why? Come on, why? And here, he mumbled something in a low voice response. What? What was that you said? I... I don't think I could make it out. I said, because he sold me oregano, damn it. All right. Jeez. Okay. There went the world as I knew it. I felt the big frown furrowing itself into my brow as right out of nowhere, I just had my first glimpse of how Alice felt after tumbling down the rabbit hole. So, all right, I, I had heard him correctly the first time. But what did it mean? It, it just didn't compute. What was this, the Twilight Zone? Finally, oregano, I asked softly. It's what I said, wasn't it? Oh, he was really scowling down a menacing scowl on me now. You deaf or something or what? I let out a sigh and shook my head. What the hell was I missing here? You know, I began shakily, and I feel ridiculous for having to ask this, but, I mean, look, here's the thing. If 
Okay, if you didn't want the oregano in the first place, if, if you didn't really need any oregano, I couldn't believe I was even having this conversation. Well then, what did you have to go and pay for it for, huh? That makes no sense. I mean, hey, you don't want oregano? Then just don't buy oregano, okay? Just Mr. Leifert? This interruption was spoken from off to my right in a soft girl's voice. I slowly turned and discovered a wispy, freckled little red-headed Anne of Green Gables dutifully holding her hand aloft waiting to be called on. Just, just a minute, okay? I tell her I'm a little busy here. And now I'm immediately overwhelmed with embarrassment and guilt that such an innocent little angel has had to witness such a violent outbreak in what is supposed to be only a safe and nurturing environment. My freaking classroom. Mr. Lyford, she persisted politely. Please, not now. I gently remonstrated that. Mr. Lyford, I just wanted to say... I think he means he thought the oregano was drugs. I blinked. I blinked twice. Skin prickles of stress flashed up over my torso like a hot rash. I'm thinking, what? And I'm thinking, she just said that so matter-of-factly. As if she might have only been saying, Mr. Lyford, a noun is a word that names a person, place, or thing. Say what? I finally blurted out. Well, marijuana, said a helpful and dapper little crew-cut academic in Coke bottle glasses off to her right. All very matter-of-fact and thank you very much. Say what? My brain was spinning its wheels. My brain was shutting down. Reefer, someone else pitched in as if that might be of some possible help in this situation. Mary Jane, someone else clarified definitively. And I was thinking, oh my God, there are drugs in this town. Oh my God, there are drugs in this school. Oh my God. There may be drugs right here in my classroom. And while I was standing there, paralyzed, from somewhere in the room, I heard a valley girl voice chirp. Oh my God, check him out. It's like he doesn't even have a clue. <laughs> <laughs>